So you have one job. Maybe you're familiar with the, the theme of this meme that's made its round on social media. The premise is you, you have just one job to do, but look what happened. So I uh, gathered some of my favorites and uh, see if you enjoy these. Uh, so you had one job. Cheese placement might not have been in. You had one job. Great view, but access might be a problem. Or how about this one? You had one job. Unless you're Jesus, this was a fail. You had one job. Have you ever been in an accident that resulted in your death? Yes or no? <laughs> so writing surveys might not be your job. Uh, and this is my favorite. Uh, you had one job. I said my name was Mark with a C. You had one job, and somehow you found a way of, of messing up even that. If you're here today, or if you're joining us online, you have just one job, if you've put your allegiance in Jesus Christ. One job that we share if, the, if we are believers in Jesus, and this is the one role that's ours to own. It should be our, our singular focus as Christians. As you'll see, we have found countless ways of messing it up. We had one job. One thing I love about reading the New Testament is that you get to hear stories of the roles of the people that were in the early church. We see the gifts that each believer had and how God used those gifts to help build his kingdom. We see how God used believers like Peter to preach a powerful sermon that, that launched the early church. We see how God equipped followers like Aquila and Priscilla to uh, work with and disciple brand new converts to the faith. We see how, how God called the Apostle Paul to a, a powerful ministry of church planting and encouragement. So the New Testament, it gives us a, a front row seat to seeing the, the first church in action. And these people in the early church, they, they knew what their one job was. They knew the role that they'd been given, the giftings that they'd been equipped with, the ways that they're being used to build that church. And they knew this because, well, because Jesus himself gave them the job. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. One job. In previous weeks, we've spent time also looking at some words from uh, Apostle Paul, some encouragement. And he used an image, as you recall, of an athlete running after a prize. And that's to help us understand what it means to go and make disciples of all nations. And so this is what he said. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And we discovered together that the, the prize that he's talking about here is, is not salvation, it's not eternity with God, but the prize is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's our one job, that's our prize. And if we are to be like, like athletes that are running hard after this prize, running after this one job that we're given, then we train and we prepare. And if we're wise, we make predecisions that help us reach the prize. 
So we are in week four of our pre-season series, and our series thesis has been this. Wise people don't just make good decisions, they make pre-decisions. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the hallmarks of the early church. We've been looking at the book of Acts, so I ask you to grab your your Bible or your phones and turn with me to to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And this is the fifth book in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And what you'll find is a, a description of the early church that was experiencing all kinds of change and growth. And this early church can be an example for all churches, and it can be an example for this church. So let's look together at this passage we find in, in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we look at this this passage, it's filled with distinguishing traits of the early church. And so we said it's like a scouting report of the early church. And so we found out that they had a devotion to teaching and to fellowship, gathering together. There was inspiring stories of God at work in their midst. There was generosity and humility. They gathered in large public settings, and they also gathered in small, intimate spaces. They enjoyed hospitality and good food, and they were growing in number. So over the last few weeks, we looked at how the church has has gathered in large public settings. So we as wise people pre-decided to attend a service. And we looked at generosity and, and humility, so we predecided to give faithfully. Last week, we looked at the example of the early church, and we predecided to invest and invite. And this week, we're going to focus on growing in number. What can we learn from a church that added 3,000 people in one day? A church where the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What can we learn about a church that that knew that their one job was to go? So they went. They went and they planted churches all over the Near East, on the move, quickly changing, quickly growing. They were a church that had a singular focus. They knew what their one job was. And because this church, this local church, is looking at them as a model for our own church, And as a model for those who have put their allegiance in Jesus Christ, I want to make it abundantly clear again that this local church has just one job. Again, Jesus makes it clear. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's it. We have one job. And it's why our mission statement at Autumn Ridge is this simple. Autumn Ridge exists to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our job. But here's my observation about this one job we've been given. 
So ever since Jesus gave us this one job, we have been, we've been vulnerable to making it more complicated. From the very first believers in the early church and, and down through history, we've been, we've been tempted to add obstacles of our own. We have one job, but sometimes we, we add man-made rules to it. We have just one job, but sometimes we throw up roadblocks. And if you're a note taker, write this down. We have one job, but sometimes we turn preferences into policy. And oftentimes when we turn preferences into policy, it gets in the way of us doing our one job. And sometimes these are, these are very serious kinds of roadblocks and other times they seem really trivial. So there's a, a southern state that on their law books, even to this day, they prohibit men from wearing fake mustaches to church. Might be a preference turned to a policy. And not just to pick on the southern states, because in our own state, in the town of St. Cloud, Minnesota, there's still a law on the books that prohibit all of you from having a hamburger on a Sunday. Again, probably a preference turned into a policy. There's a town nearby that has two First Lutheran churches. How did that happen? Again, true story. They couldn't agree on the color of the carpet. It's preference turned into a policy. Okay, some of you have shown up here at Ottermans Church wearing a Hawaiian shirt, sandals, and socks. It's true. Probably not a preference we're going to turn into a policy. Come on, we know this, right? Sometimes we like to turn our preferences into policies. And the early church also was, was prone to turning preferences into policies, clearly uh, creating complications and roadblocks that, that sort of stood in the way of people that were turning to God. A church that was growing quickly was, was faced with obstacles that threatened to slow its growth. So in the early church, there were those whose teaching forbid marriage. There were those whose teaching required abstinence from certain food. And there was teaching in the early church that insisted that circumcision was required in order to become a believer in Jesus Christ. It's actually this last roadblock that I want to look at today because it gives us a roadmap of how the early church decisively dealt with an issue that threatened growth. The proposed requirement to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus Christ was a preference that was seeking to be a policy. And we'll discover together the origin of this preference and how that preference became a problem for the early church and how the early church overcame that problem. So over the last month, we've been challenged to sort of pre-decide aspects of our life together in this local church. Pre-decide because that's what wise people do when they're running hard after the prize that Jesus gave us. And if we take seriously our job description to go and make disciples of all nations, we will stop at nothing short of sin to reach our goal. And so this week, let's focus on this. Wise people predecide to ruthlessly remove roadblocks so that they can do their one job. Just as the early church was, was faced with these roadblocks, the church today is as well. 
And a little later, I'm going to identify one single roadblock that I think we should be working on as a local congregation. One of the roadblocks that's making it difficult for us to do our one job. And because wise people pre-decide to ruthlessly remove roadblocks, I'll offer up some practical solutions and some next steps. Something that you can do. But first, let's take a look at that roadmap from the early church. They demonstrated the ways of, of solving these kinds of problems that keep people from turning to God. The kinds of problems that threaten growth in the local church by looking at a real example from the first century church and a guy that we know of as the Apostle Paul. Now a little background on the Apostle Paul will probably be helpful here and we'll start this way. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul hunted down and he arrested Christians. Paul participated in the murder of Christians. Paul despised Christians. And then he became one. And that's an amazing story, and you should read about it. You'll find it in Acts chapter 9, a real amazing piece of history. And after his encounter with the, with the risen Christ, Paul went on to be the, the great church planter and arguably the greatest persecutor of the early church became persecuted himself. And as we come to know more about Paul, we'll see that he did all he could do to ruthlessly remove roadblocks that stood in the way of doing his one job. You see, Paul knew way back then in the first century, he knew what his one job was. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so... In town after town, Paul led teams as they went about doing their one job. In town after town across the Near East, they established and planted new churches. They raised up leaders. They instructed, they encouraged, and they cared for the new believers. And so the movement got moving. The early church continued to grow. Believers in these churches knew what the prize was, and they were running hard after it. And new believers are being added to the church daily. And it started with Jews in Jerusalem, but it quickly spread to, to non-Jews in faraway places. And the early church exploded as new converts were being added to the local church. But trouble was looming on the horizon. You see, the, the church was headed for a roadblock. So I'd add you turn with me again to your Bibles or your phones to, again, the book of Acts. We'll jump ahead to chapter 15, starting in verses 1. And this is what we see happening as we, as we read in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So remember, they had one job. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then they went ahead and added, but you're also going to need to be circumcised in order to be saved. From, I heard an ouch up front. There. From their Jewish perspective, they were teaching that in order to give allegiance to Jesus, in order to spend eternity with him, you had to first adhere to all the customs of the Jewish faith, including being circumcised. They had one job. But then they added something they turned a preference into a policy. And this didn't sit well with Paul, and it didn't sit well with his co-worker and friend Barnabas. You see, Paul had become a, a bit of a specialist 
in relating to the Gentiles, relating to these non-Jewish converts. Paul, in fact, had come to refer to himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul believed that this was a divine appointment that he'd received from Jesus himself. And he tells about that in the book of Romans. This is what he says. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him to the Gentiles. And it was this divine appointment that, that drove Paul to confront this false teaching. These new teachers were, were arriving in Antioch and they were stepping right into his area of expertise and, and throwing up a roadblock for the people that Paul has such a heart for. And Paul knew that these new and, and false teachings would be a problem. He had years of evidence how, how God was, was using the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to build his church. And so our passage continues. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, with the Jewish leaders. There was a confrontation in the local church. There were two factions. And it was serious enough that Paul wanted to resolve it as quickly as possible, to definitively state, we have one job, and we will ruthlessly remove any roadblocks. And so this is what they did. Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Take it to the top. Remove the roadblock. Get a ruling so they can get back to doing their one job. So they traveled 300 miles back to Jerusalem to have a meeting with the bigwigs. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, they were welcomed by the leaders, and they were able to, to give a, uh, an accounting of, of how God had been using the Gentiles to build his church. And the Jewish teachers were there as well, and they reiterated their argument. They said, Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And then if you skip forward to verse 10, we see another person in that old, uh, New Testament church, that first century church named Peter, and he puts in his two cents worth about challenging these roadblocks. This is what he says. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke, that's the law, a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are, just as the Gentiles are saved. So after all the give and take, after all the arguments, after all the discussion that took place, James, the, the patriarch, the leader of the Jerusalem church, the one that everyone looked up to, said this, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And the matter was settled. It would no longer be taught or understood that that was a, a hoop that needed to be jumped through. And the local church in Antioch could get back to doing the one job that they've been called to do. I'd argue that this passage, it remains one of the pivotal passages in the Bible to maintain the proper perspective for the local church when it comes time to doing our one job, to make disciples of all nations. You know, details and circumstances change over time. Today, we don't necessarily call them Gentiles. We can just say people. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. 
fact, we should make it easy. That's our lens for ministry in the local church. What, should, what can we do to make it easier for people who may be far from God to take a step towards God? But for every generation of the local church, there are new challenges that, that need to be overcome. New preferences that have been turned into policy. New roadblocks that are making it difficult for people who are turning to God. So how about today? How about in the culture we live in? How about this local church? What are the roadblocks? What is it that's making it difficult for people who are turning to God? Well, I think we can find lots of examples in our churches today. One roadblock that I think has plagued the church from the beginning and is still happening to the day is the idea that somehow a person needs to clean up their act before they walk through the doors of a church. Before they'll feel welcome, they need to, to get their life straightened out. In Autumn Ridge, we recognize that that's a message that some people still hear from churches. And so one of our values is this. Belong before you believe. You don't have to think like we think or act like we act to be accepted here. And when we got serious enough about, about this that we included it as one of our values, we took a step towards ruthlessly removing a roadblock. And has it made a difference? You bet it has. We continue to hear from people who walk through the doors of our church busted up and broken by life. And they don't feel judged. And they do feel accepted. So do you remember that scouting report of the early church? The traits that we find in the early church? Growing in number. That early church was growing in number. And so was Autumn Ridge. And we have a significant challenge in front of us. Now, it's not 3,000 people in one day, but we joined with the early church in our need to be flexible and to pivot in response to the challenges we face as we continue to grow. And so here it is. The single specific roadblock that I would raise today is our need to add additional people onto our volunteer teams. I think much like Paul calling a, a meeting of the early church to resolve the roadblock they were facing, I think we can follow through today here in this place to ruthlessly remove this roadblock. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Let's start with the good news. And I'm guessing you may have noticed this. If you're watching our, our lobby on a Sunday morning, I think you'll notice this. We have a, a seen a huge influx of newer, younger families and younger singles coming through our doors. And that's amazing news because the current church trend across the nation shows a steady decline in engagement in that younger generation. But week after week after week, they are showing up in growing numbers. And we're struggling. We're struggling as a local church right now to keep up with our rate of growth. Now, to be clear, it's an amazing problem to have, right? But I think we can follow the example of the early church when they were faced with the practical issue of whether keeping the Jewish law was a requirement for faith in Jesus. And a wise pastor, their wise pastor James says, look folks, let's not make it hard. In fact, let's make it easy. Let's make it easy. So here's the question. At Autumn Ridge Church, what can we do to make it easier for people who are turning to God? 
Now, I know when I suggest adding volunteers to teams, I suspect that there are some in this room right now who are starting to feel some feels that aren't the best. Maybe you've experienced a, a challenge like this before and it, and it feels a little bit like control or hype coming from a pastor up front. And if that's you, I want you to think about and remember the, the four-quadrant model that we've been sharing over the last few weeks. And this is it. And we believe that, that any relationship can be plotted on this model, including your relationship with this local church. And so we have a line here that's the line of trust. And there's, there's low trust on this end. And then trust builds as you go this way. And then we have an up and down line that is expectations. So low expectations here and then higher expectations here. So here's the deal. If you're on this side of the trust line with this local church, I just want you to sit, sit back and relax. Take a deep breath. We don't want anything from you. We simply want you to come. Enjoy the community that you're enjoying. Enjoy the worship. And our prayer is that your trust will grow over time. But if you're on this side of the trust line, then our encouragement for you is to give us permission today to count on you. To count on you to help make it easier for people who are turning to God. So let's take a look together at some practical stuff, what we're facing in this season here at Autumn Ridge. And, and as we do, I'm going to show you some pictures of our current serving team busy serving around us. So our kids and student ministries always busting at the seams. You can't make it through the lobby of the church without tripping on a toddler. There are a dedicated group of volunteers that are loving on our kids and loving on our students, but we need more. We need an additional 210 people in one month's time in order to adequately make it easier for those who are turning to God. Our safety team is doing an amazing job of well, keeping us safe, and, and they stand ready at any point in time to jump in and help us all out. And the team is growing, but more people need to say yes. Yes to making it easier for people who are turning to God. Our guest service teams, our ushers, our greeters, our connection center, our first-time tent, they're busy every time we open our doors. But there are a ton of open seats that need to be filled so that we can make it easier for those who are turning to God. Small groups. These are the linchpin of a, of a thriving community. We're getting ready to launch our biggest season yet. What would it look like for you to step in and make it easier for people who are turning to God? I know some of you are in a season of just extreme busyness right now. So I would encourage you to, to check out our Ridge Fest. This is our one-day outreach event on this campus to our local community. And the good news is we have 300 spots open for you to join with us for one day to make a difference in the lives of those who are turning to God. Our cafe teams, visitation, receptionists, groundskeepers, guardians, custodians, uh, bookstore, community servers, music tech, they're all in need of additional volunteers. You could be part of a team that makes it easier for people who are turning to God. That's a lot. And we know that's a lot. And if you're sitting here today and it seems like I'm trying to get something from you rather than giving something to you, my encouragement is for you to tap someone on the shoulder that's wearing a white name tag 
they're serving in this church this weekend, tap them on the shoulder and ask them about their experience. You see, I work with these people all the time. I spend time with them, and they love what they get to do. And we want that for you as well. And for those who are on a team, I just want to say thank you. I see some white name tags out in the audience. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for stepping towards the messes and making it easier for people who are turning to God. Remember, wise people predecide to ruthlessly remove roadblocks so they can do their one job. So today, we're going to give you a step-by-step direction. I want to sketch out some practical information and, and maybe anticipate some of the questions you might have about what it's like to join a team. These are some of the parameters we have for our serving team. So we're going to start out with, uh, we want to invite you to start a conversation. So all this means is if you're curious about what this might look like, Sign up for a general interest area and it will start a conversation. We want to answer your questions before you sign on the dotted line. Second, we believe in a test drive and it's as simple as that. Once you sign on as a volunteer, we're going to get a hold of you in six weeks or so and we're going to say, how's it going? Is this a good fit? And if it's not a good fit, no big deal. We'll just try something else. And then this, serving isn't the life sentence. Right? So we invite you to serve for a season. And while you're welcome to re-up, you're also welcome to switch it up. And finally, a healthy balance. Serve with a regular schedule, a dependable regular schedule with time off in between. And serve, in a, uh, serve one and attend one. So we simply want to say we want to help you maintain a balance between worshiping and serving on a team. Now, Pastor Rick thinks my job title ought to be changed to Pastor of Cool Stories. And I like that. And, and I do get a close-up view, along with people serving on teams, I get a close-up view of life change happening right in front of me. So what I'm about to say is not hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. These kinds of life change stories happen all the time. We have emails. We, we hear the stories. So next week... A woman's going to show up here at Autumn Ridge for the very first time. She's going to have her kids in tow behind her. And her prayer is that her kids are going to love it here. She's praying like crazy that God will answer her prayer, that her kids will beg to come back. And people volunteering will be the answer to her prayer. Next week, someone's going to show up who's just at the very end of their rope with an addiction or a loss of a job or a loss of a relationship. And their prayer is that this community will welcome them and love them in a way that they've never experienced. And people serving on our teams will be an answer to their, uh, to their prayer. Today in this auditorium, someone is wondering if the God of the universe could possibly be real. And if he is real, is it possible to know and be known by him. And people like you can be the answer to that prayer. Here's the thing. If it was your daughter showing up with your grandkids, if it was your family member who'd given up on church long ago, but they're giving it one last shot, what would you want their experience to be like? You want it to be epic, right? 
You'd want it to be clean here and welcoming and organized and amazing. But it's not going to be any more amazing than there are amazing people stepping up to do the work. And that's why we're inviting you to step up. And I know you don't have time. Nobody has time. You're, you're super busy, successful people. What I'm asking you is to be, to be open to a conversation. Open to a conversation about what it might look like to take the next step. Let's just talk. I'm asking you to be open to a conversation about what it might look like to be like that early church in Jerusalem where we teach what Jesus teaches and we care for people who can't care for themselves because against all odds, that first church changed the world. And there's still a whole lot of the world that needs to be changed. And with your help, I believe we can be part of that change. And it's grace. It's all grace. It's the grace that we've been given showing up in the way that we give to others. It's pointing to the gift, not the gift, but the giver of the gift. And by pointing people to God starts with serving out of grace. And so if that's you today, if you're one who, who needs to get off the sidelines, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you today to get into the game and run that race and win the prize, I have a couple next steps. First is this, pre-decide to make it easier for those who are turning to God. Pre-decide. Pre-decide to join a team and that starts with a conversation. So before we leave this space today, can we do this thing? Before you get up out of your chairs and head out the door, can you simply scan that QR code that's in front of you? It's going to take you to our team page, and, and there's some broad categories there. Pick something that just kind of sounds interesting to you, and that will start the conversation. We'll just have a talk about what it might look like. And we serve because we've been served. And we love because we've been loved. And we ruthlessly remove roadblocks. And when we do, we turn people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that what you made it so very clear to us what our one singular job is. Now that when we go and we, and we make disciples, we're building your kingdom. When we love and serve your people, we align ourselves with, with your purpose for us. So we pray for your strength. We pray for conviction and courage today to run the race set before us, to win the prize. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.